Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., and Jesse Cofield here holding it down in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. Got a great show for you. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating and check us out live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on DraftKingsNetwork.com, DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV Plus, and more. Great show for you guys. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, Jordan Brooks, Seahawks linebacker, going to join us, talk a little bit about their season right now, coming off a couple of tough losses, but trying to bounce back with some words from one of their team leaders. And Cardell Jones, former Ohio State quarterback. I am fascinated, Dad, to talk to at this particular juncture because as we get ready for another round of the college football 
football playoffs rankings. This is one of the very few times I get to use this word. The penultimate round of college football playoff go. committee rankings. We get this rankings, and then we get the ones on Sunday after conference championship weekend. But as we've got the penultimate round here, and we'll talk today about the Florida State problem the committee's about to have, where an undefeated team is walking into conference championship weekend with not their starting quarterback. And somebody who knows a little bit about the last time that happened would be Cardale Jones, who was the third string quarterback to start the year at Ohio State and ended up going in the last game of the season, the Big Ten championship, and then helping them win a national championship in the first year of the college football playoff. So uh, we'll get to plenty of that with him. We'll talk to Jordan a little bit. My dad is also warring with Christmas movies uh, at this point, specifically Rudolph the Red nose reindeer it's that time of year again where you start to have these things pop up on tv a little bit more my dad's noticing the horrifying trends that exist in movies like this i've been doing this for a while now i I feel it's my duty my public duty to to kind of go over this and the game was so riveting last night with minnesota chicago we'll get to that uh, I was using the clicker to go back and forth watching Rudolph and the game because I knew there would be nothing going on in the game, and there wasn't. It was 3-3 at halftime, so you can understand how I was flipping channels. Rudolph Three points off of four turnovers. Three points off four turnovers. We'll get to some remnants of this game at some point. We'll get to that that game. But what was worse, that game or just... When you really sit and watch Rudolph, who I love Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, what a, what a dude, right? But that show, I mean, oh my God, his father, Santa, his girlfriend's dad, the coach, I mean, could they be more ex- exclusion, exclusive, uh, not exclusive, excluding, uh, I'm not even saying the word right. You're so full of rage, <laughs> you can't even. I am, I'm it's, so full of I mean, of it's rage. discriminatory. They're discriminating against his red nose. It's terrible. Because of his physical appearance. Dad's trying to cover it up. It pops off. He had his friend Fireball, who could have been the friend there, and really kind of said, hey, don't worry about it. You're still cool. But he jumped. They acted like sheep more than like reindeer. Reindeer just jumping on Rudolph. They excluded him out of the reindeer games after that. And so he's off to, you know, the land of misfit toys where everybody's accepted. It's a beautiful thing. And then the audacity of the fat man Santa after basically ripping Rudolph and saying he's never going to be part of his crew, that all of a sudden it's foggy one night and needs Rudolph's nose and goes back and said, will you guide my sleigh? I'd have told the fat man to kiss off. I'd have used different language than that. I said, are you serious? Are you serious after the way you treated me? You want me to guide your sleigh now? You're coming back to me? How about I guide your sleigh if you're not on it? You know, let the, let the, the dentist elf you know, go on there and, and give away toys instead of you. It just aggravates me. And then, oh, by the way, at the end, when they're doing the credits, when they get all the toys from Misfit Island oh, yeah, yeah. And, and they're, and they're, yeah. they're dropping the toys off to, to kids, they're throwing the toys out of the sleighs with parachutes, and they're throwing some of the toys out with no parachutes. Where the hell are these, these toys landing? I mean, what are we doing here? So, yeah, I watched it maybe a little too intensely, and realize just how bad the adults treated the kids in this movie. It was amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. So every year, it kind of aggravates me. God love Clarice, Rudolph's girlfriend. She was fantastic right out of the gate. Real uh, one. Very, very Real accepting. One. 
So, I mean, so there were, there were, so maybe I, I guess that's the message. You're not accepted and you are accepted, but whatever. I mean, man, talk the about me- going the message back. Is in- you're not accepted for who you are. You're accepted for what other people need from you. And boy, yes. oh boy, is that actually the most apt message for 2023 I've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, you just watch it and you're like, how are you treating this, this, this little reindeer like this? I mean, my God. Yeah, it's uh, it just aggravates me year in and year out. Every almost so so much it has me flustered now. That's that's what, at times I forgot the game was going on. I was getting more and more aggravated watching another person kind of dismiss Rudolph because he had the red nose. So I'm definitely yeah, not that was, gonna that was a let tough my, watch. I'm not letting my kids watch that. No, no. Now and now it's it's a horrible thing. So I had to go back to something even worse, and that was Monday Night Football. Yeah, my dad's rage texting us about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in our family group chat last night while this game's going on. And honestly, all of that is the mentally healthiest thing you could have done for yourself in the midst of last night's game. They did kill that flightless bird at the end of that movie, by the way. Stay woke. Yeah, they did. They looked right at it. They knew it yep. was a flightless bird, and they threw Tossed it out him. of the sleigh. That is ma- no parachute. I, I forget what varying degree of murder, attempted murder, manslaughter. Yep. I think it's murder because there seemed to be intent. Like, there was eye contact. It's, oh, it's the flightless it's bird. The premeditation. Oh, we're not going to give it the umbrella. Yeah. Premeditation. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Fly There's or premeditation die. There. And yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, hey, you're going to learn to fly on the way down, or buddy, we're going to hear splat yeah. in about four yeah. seconds. And uh, <laughs> I was listening for the splat. So stay woke on that one. <laughs> Alert your congressman that that movie uh, has some crimes in it that we need to discuss. Like the crimes we mentioned, three points Oof. off four turnovers in that Oof. game last night. Like, I have a great deal of respect for everybody that suits it up, plays and coaches in the NFL. It is a difficult profession. It is the goal and aspiration for so many people that start lacing it up playing football. But, man, that game hurt to watch. And I was really excited to start this game, Dad, because we're talking about so much of this season with the Bears through the lens of what becomes of Justin Fields in Chicago. You mentioned yesterday you think it's more likely that we get none of the battery back from Chicago. But between Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, the GM, and Justin Fields, the quarterback, you think it's more likely that they're all gone than none of them are gone. I do think it still starts with Justin Fields and the questions and decisions you're going to see there. And so I'm like, all right, man, what a great point. We talked about going into the game yesterday. You get this defense and Brian Flores that blitzes more and with yes. more variety than any team in the league. And so what a great test for a quarterback. How you're going to respond to those situations. What are you going to do versus pressure? What kind of answers are going to be there? And the Jekyll and Hyde from the first half to the second half where in the first half and in the first few drives, Justin Fields is buying time with his legs. He's getting loose and then keeping his eyes downfield. He made some big plays. The throw to Cole Komet off the delayed tight end release. All this stuff was great. And then in the second half, apparently Luke Getze in this offense just described it. We're going to build the entire plane out of wide receiver screens. Justin Fields had a career high in passes completed at or behind the line of scrimmage at 10 by the end of the first half and averaged .3 air yards on those completions. Dad, for Chicago fans, it was maddening. For anybody not watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, it was maddening. And at the end result of this, Justin Fields, yes, made enough plays at the end of this game to put them in a position to win it in a game where the Vikings turned the ball over four times, but I did not walk out of this game feeling better about Justin Fields' chances of being the Bears quarterback next season. No, and and what we don't know is what we see at practice, right? Now, because they throw so many sideway passes, it's like, do you not trust this guy throwing the ball downfield? Do you get that lack of trust 
by what you see in practice? Do you not feel he has the ability to stand and read and get the ball downfield? That's what I don't know because you keep seeing this and you keep saying, why are you calling all of these plays to go sideways instead of vertical? So you do wonder, is there, is there a confidence problem that they have with him? That, that's something we don't know. We're not at practice. We don't see it. See what can go on there. But at times, and, and I've said this because I've called Bears games, you know, from last year to this year, and, and kind of like I <clears throat> talked about with Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh, I just don't know, don't feel like that's such a great relationship with Luke Getze and Justin Fields. Again, I'm not there. It's all just what I see when I watch film, when I call the games, when I see the play calls about giving your quarterback the best chance. Rarely do you see Justin Fields stand in the pocket and deliver the ball. He normally is running, creating something on his own, or it's a sideways pass. And we always talk about even though quarterbacks that can move, you still have to be able to throw from the pocket. And we don't see that a lot out of, you see it occasionally, and he throws a great ball down the field, hits DJ Moore at the end of yep. the game. Now, again, in Minnesota's playing a little soft. It's one of the times they don't blitz, you know, and, and get pressure on Justin Fields. You're kind of oh, going, what was going what, on what the, there? The, the whole rest of the game. Yeah. You're doing, I mean, I think they blitz doing it the whole literally game. more than half the time yeah. in the game. And, and, and now, now all D of a sudden you want to back yeah. off and let them have all the yeah. room in the world. What are we doing? DJ Moore's just standing alone in the middle of the field on the game winning drive. So, Mike, I, I don't know where it is with with Justin Fields, Luke Getze, the play calling, the confidence, because th there's still part of me that wants to see more of what Justin Fields can do. I'm, I know there's plenty of people who said, I've seen enough out of what we can do, but man, I just wonder the situation that he's in, and, and I'll continue to say, I don't know what happens in practice. Maybe they don't have a lot of faith in, in the downfield stuff, but I mean, you, you, it's third and two third and two and you throw a sideways pass and don't make it i mean two yards you can't get a two-yard route down the field someone go three yards and turn around okay i mean it shouldn't be as difficult as at times they seem to make it by just saying we're going to just throw it sideways and we're going to trust our guys to catch the ball and get yards after the catch okay and and, and i get it occasionally but as you said a, 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 a high for him, 10 in the first half completions sideways or behind the line of scrimmage, which is, it's crazy. I think it's one of those things where is that a play that can be a response to all-out pressure? Sure, when you've got a player yes. like DJ yes. Moore who is as adept with the ball in his hands after the catch as any receiver in the NFL, sure. But with the NFL, you can't be one thing all the time, especially offensively. And how often do we see, Dad, in a game where we came up with this conversation with James Franklin in Penn State where he got mad at a reporter for asking him, hey, why don't you do more of that huck it, chuck it down the field so people don't just get to tee off on everything underneath? And he acted like that was the most offensive concept in the world. When in actuality, that's kind of the point. At some point, you've got to threaten down the field so defenses are going to have some belief that you're even capable of it. And when you don't, what happens is you get tackled around the line of scrimmage on third and two, yeah. throwing a pass out to your wide receiver on the sideline there. So it was a bit maddening. I understand the, the thought process, Dad. Justin Fields is a tantalizing talent still. You see the flashes. It's awesome. Yeah. But as we're teetering on the edge of maybe your third coach for Justin Fields in his time as a player, I recognize, one, it's not all his fault. 
Like very few quarterbacks no. are going to be able to survive multiple coaching staffs, multiple offensive coordinator voices in their ear and come out on the other side developed at a level that's going to help them keep that original job. And so I acknowledge that. And two, it's the value proposition on the other side because you have the Panthers pick that is the first overall pick in the draft right now. And because we've got two quarterbacks that are getting that generational label in Drake May and Caleb Williams, you've got a different set of really values that you've got to operate with here because of what you might potentially miss and the thought of potentially another staff coming in and it being another round of well we'll see if this staff knows how to use Justin Fields the right way I just don't think is feasible for any of the decision makers and it's less an indictment on Justin Fields and what I think about him and more about hey the lack of development because of a number of factors and the fact that you've got these two great quarterbacks waiting in the wings that can reset the clock for everybody inside that building that give if you are going to go with new people a chance for them to come in with a guy that they're more invested in we know how all this stuff works so this is kind of about the system and an understanding of usually what goes down here Uh, 100 correct because the system is the potential of what the next two quarterbacks out of college bring to what we've seen already the potential of the unknown and the grade and the rating of we can't pass this guy up they could be the next great quarterback and we've seen maybe enough of Justin Fields even though it's been with different coordinators in a couple of different systems yeah. so we're going to move on from this but man I just I just don't understand a lot of you, you mentioned Minnesota blitzing you know what you do when you blitz when you blitz there's holes where the, where the team blitz from right and not, never did I see them attacking those holes on the blitz downfield it was always as we talked about the sideways pass I just think there's a, a again a misconnect there and or maybe because they don't have the confidence in Justin Fields. You know, quickly on the other side with Minnesota. By the way, Minnesota is still in the playoffs as of today. Uh, they're they are, they they're are all, the, all yeah. four NFC North teams are still mathematically capable still of winning the NFC North at this point. Yeah, but Minnesota is in the seven right now if the old season were to end today thing. And, you know, the Josh Dobbs story, is is it going to end now? Um, I have no idea. Four interceptions. Three were his fault. One went off Addison's hands. That's not his fault. Three were his fault. So just like Fields lost two fumbles that were on him, Dobbs threw, you know, three interceptions that were absolutely uh, on him. They come down. They have a nice drive with about a little over five minutes to go. He throws a nice touchdown pass to TJ Hawkinson. They take the lead. And then after that, it's one of Fields' fumbles when the, when the Bears are trying to get back in this game down 10 and 9 it's one of his fumbles so here's the drive for minnesota after that fumble now burn clock right now you you can end the hold on to the ball and you can end this game you know chicago just gave you the ball back and you have the lead you go no gain one yard minus one yard those are your three plays and then you get a 26 yard punt i think it was so everything worked against you there you couldn't hold on to the ball at all and then all of a sudden we get no no pressure in that defense and fields is zipping it down the field uh hits the big one to dj Moore to put him in field goal range 10 seconds ago they win on field goals and by the way the last 28 teams that didn't score a touchdown all lost they were 0 28 and now the Bears are one of the first, first ones to do it without a touchdown. The last time they did it, they won a game without a touchdown, was 1993. Their first drive of the game, Mike, was 14 plays, 47 yards. It took up nine minutes off the clock, and they missed a field goal. They got nothing out of it. I mean, yeah. this, this game was just such dreck early on. 
it, it was it was bad ball, like you mentioned there. It was bad ball, and I, I understand we mentioned Justin Fields did enough to get them in position to win at the end of it, but the two fumbles that you talked about coming off turnovers were also spots where he gave that team an opportunity to lose it. You were just going up against an unstoppable turnover force. The Minnesota Vikings now 31st in the NFL in turnovers per game, yeah. averaging two a game, and 30th yeah. in turnover margin per game right now. So that's a team that's kind of drifting a little bit with that and we know we talk about this all the time turnover luck usually evens out but this is the second time we've talked about this for minnesota early in the season their fumble luck was insanely bad when you still had kirk cousins in the lineup and now you get to this point where uh kevin o'connell their head coach after the game is starting to do the thing as they head into the bye where he hems and haws a bit on the quarterback position we're going to take a look uh you know really evaluate you know the inventory of plays now we have of josh uh, we got healthy. We got Jaron back, you know, available to us. And then Nick Mullins is available as well. Um, look, I, I think what Josh Dobbs has, has really done coming in here on short notice and really, you know, going, uh, you know, two and two in a, in a stretch where, uh, you know, a lot of people might have thought Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson being out, um, you know, the, the deck stacked against us. That's not the way this team thinks. That's not the way we operate. It's not the way I operate. Uh, we're trying to go out and win every football game we play. I will say, Dad, for all the talk that we could potentially have about Josh Dobbs getting sat down for any of those guys he mentioned, which, man, I had to make you sad as a Minnesota Vikings fan to hear that, but um, he went 2-2 two and two in that process to me is my big takeaway, yeah. right? We talk about backup quarterbacks all the time. You're there to keep the team afloat, and while there's nothing coming to save you here, and that's ultimately going to be the thing that even if the Vikings be a fr are a fringe playoff team, they're going to damn you is you're probably not going to win a playoff game with Josh Dobbs or any of those guys at quarterback no, for this team. You do yeah. get Justin Jefferson hopefully back on the other side of this bye here, and Josh Dobbs helped steer the ship for as long as he possibly could. I would keep Josh Dobbs in there. I, to think you'd put a rookie in there and Jaron Hall instead of him, I don't see. And Nick Mullen's been around a bit, but I, Josh Dobbs would still be the starter to me. And as I mentioned, they're the seventh team in the playoffs right now. There's four six-loss teams. They're one of them. And they, they play the Raiders next. Uh, and then the Bengals without Joe Burrow. And then two of their last three are against Detroit. So it's there for them. But, you know, they got to stop turning the ball over because you ain't going anywhere if you turn the ball over the way they are. No, that's uh, a coach of mine always used to say. You can't start winning until you stop losing. And two turnovers a game is uh, a lot of losing. So we'll uh, get away from that one and get to some college football. Coming up next, strange scenes that we get to explain for the introductory press conference for one new college coach. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. 
To Gojo and Golik is conference championship week, highlighted by Alabama, Georgia Bulldogs, six points favorites over the Tide. And before these two teams face off on Saturday, we actually already know the next time that they're going to meet next year. So ESPN reporting that Alabama and Georgia are scheduled to meet during the first month of the 2024 season, September 28th in Tuscaloosa. Going to be only the fifth time in the past 20 years that they've played in the regular season. So their showdown on Saturday in Atlanta means five of their past six meetings have come in either the SEC title game or the college football playoff national championship game. Pretty insane. But before any of these games, you guys, we're going to have the latest college football playoff rankings released tonight. Fellas, who are you expecting to see in your top four? Boy, I tell you what, first and foremost, Jesse mentioned in a regular season matchup between Bama and Georgia. Dad, you're right. The juice is going to feel really lackluster compared to what we're used to with these teams, where it's either a play-in game for the championship or a rematch of the championship. We've been spoiled rotten with the matchup of, I think, alongside Clemson, right, when you tell the story of the four-team era of the college football playoff, the decade that we had. This is year 10 of the four-team CFP. The story of that era is... Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia, right? Georgia with a chance to three-peat on the back end of this. Alabama and Clemson, the teams that stared eye-to-eye for basically the first six, seven years of this entire process. You mix in Ohio State in there as well, who won the championship in the first year, who appeared in the championship in 2020 when that great Alabama team bulldozed them. But it really has been about these three teams. So getting them in the regular season, going to be a little bit different yeah. for all of us here. Going to have yeah, to wait and, that and one. you know, but, uh, right at the beginning – Right at the beginning of the season, too. So we know how that works. Even if you lose, you have a chance to come back, i.e. look at Alabama this year, losing to Texas early on. And if Alabama beats Georgia, uh, they're, they're probably going to be uh, in the Final Four. So the whole landscape changes next year, as we talked about with Ohio State and Michigan playing last week, playing one time a year. Next year, they could actually play three times a year. So it's going to be very, very different next year. I'm sure a lot of people are going to hate it. It's kind of the feeling out of how it's all going to go down of what are the meaningful regular season games. But listen, when those two teams get together, they're always meaningful because those are two big powerhouses. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that one. We got the rankings, the penultimate round of rankings coming out tonight for the CFP in the meantime. And dad, we finally got one of the pseudo eliminator scenarios from this past weekend the ohio state michigan game we knew was going to knock one team at least for the time being out of the top four the rankings from last week if anyone missed it georgia at one ohio state at two michigan at three washington at four followed by florida state at five oregon and six and then texas alabama missouri and louisville after that so dad Ohio State going to drop down out of the top four for the time being. You would imagine the real conversation is going to be, does that win vault Michigan up over a team like Georgia, who moved into the number one spot in the last couple of weeks over Ohio State? Or does it go Georgia-Michigan? And then you'd imagine everyone else just bumps up, right? Washington at the three spot after their win in the Apple Cup. And then Florida State at four, who goes on the road and survives at Florida in a rivalry game. And dead the way that they absolutely deserve credit for, but we we know florida state's kind of going to be the focus from here on out because yes. they're a potential undefeated power five champ with a backup quarterback right now how do you think the committee is going to deal with them oh i think they'll be four uh they, they have to be four they'll be in the top four there's four undefeateds all four are going to be in the top four 
but Florida State, I believe, will be number four because they're the ones everybody's kind of, eh, you know, are, are, will, will they get knocked out of this by Louisville in the championship game? Though, I think, listen, I picked Washington all year to be in the final four. I think Oregon's going to win that game. I think Oregon's going to be number yeah. five, and I think Oregon is right on the verge of winning that game and being in the final four. I think I would, Oregon to me right now, I think I, I could argue them to be the best team in the country the way they're playing right now. The defense is playing well. The offense certainly is playing well with Bo Nix and what they got going on. So I, I actually think they're going to beat Washington. I hope it's a great game Friday night. We'll see. Uh, but I think the undefeateds will be the four. Michigan, uh, Georgia, Georgia, Michigan. So what? Obviously, it'll matter in seedings when you get to the final one of one sure. playing four and two playing three. But it'll be Washington three and Florida State four. And I still think if they all win and you have four undefeateds, that's going to be your four. While it may not be the four best teams, which what the committee is tasked with, I just still I do not think you can keep Florida State out if they win against Louisville and are undefeated. I just don't. So that's going to be part of the equation here, and everyone is obsessed with ESPN flashed the graphic the other night of the chaos scenario that could potentially happen. And it's not actually unrealistic in this scenario, Mm -mm. what they're presenting here. The idea is, and it all centers around what you just mentioned there, Florida State, undefeated Power 5 team, backup quarterback in there ohio state you're one all the comparisons we made the scenario is this michigan wins the big 10 which we all expect them to do overwhelmingly as right. their 20 point favorites against iowa florida state wins the acc against the louisville team that just lost to kentucky so very possible right. even with a backup quarterback in there alabama wins the sec which we've seen alabama since that uh texas loss in the early portion of the season become a lot better oregon wins the pac-12 which we expect and texas wins the big 12 which we expect against oklahoma state so Dad, Alabama and that would really be the only upset of conference championship weekend in the scenario presented. Everybody else is favored in their game. So in that scenario where you would have all of those teams, including one loss conference champ Bama, one loss conference champ Oregon, one loss conference champ Texas, and then one loss Georgia, one loss Washington, one loss Ohio State, who gets in in that scenario with these teams presented? Well, I think that, you know, if it's a cl- – we always t- talk about if it's a close game. So, in this scenario, you're saying Michigan and Florida State are undefeated, right? So, yes. to me, they're both in. They're both in. Is the Alabama-Georgia game a close game? And, and here's what I'm going to say is if Alabama beats Georgia, however it falls out, Alabama will be in. Texas might be in. I would put in Alabama over Texas because Alabama, I know Texas beat them early in the season, but Alabama just beat the committee's number one team in Georgia. Alabama, to me, would be in the Final Four, even if Texas is left out. Because And, and, and I would say if Oregon... Texas beat them! Beats, you beat the number one team! Texas beat the team to beat the number one team! They beat them! Beat them early, beat them early in the season... I, I, but like, listen, but like these teams, have, this isn't like, tw- like this isn't like 2017 USC where you change quarterbacks. It's the same team that Texas played. I know, I know. I'm just telling you what I think they're going to do. I, I think they're going to put Alabama in because they beat the number one team, and when and and I think uh, Michigan would be in, Florida Florida State would be in, and then would Georgia still be in if it's a close game? If it's not Georgia, it, Oregon is going to beat a top four team in Washington. 
You know, there to me, oh, I, there's see, a chance I, Texas gets left out of this thing. I think Oregon, if they win this weekend, is a lock. Like you I erase agree. your one loss. Your agree. one loss in the regular season was a loss where you lost kicking a field yep. goal at the end of regulation on the road against a team right now that's going to be a top four team in college football. You'd erase your one loss. I think they're a lock to get in. I think Michigan's obviously a lock. You can put them in pen at this point. I don't know how I could put Alabama in over Texas. Like that to me. So is the you problem would put Georgia in? So what- so if Georgia lost, you would keep Georgia in and add Texas to the mix. I'm no, I'm not saying you would even keep Georgia in. I'm saying the conversation we would be around Georgia, Alabama, and Florida State, and how to organize that because I think Oregon would have to be in, and I think that Texas would have to be in if you're going to have Alabama there. This is one of those where I understand head to head only matters so much, and if we see, yep. hey, you get a win early in the season, but then after that, your seasons are polar opposite, and one goes one way, and Alabama's these world beaters, and Texas kind of limps through the rest of the year. It'd be one thing, but Texas has handled their business. They've looked like a grown up. Football football team this year yep. they survived having Quinn Ewers injured for a couple of games and so I just don't know how given that set of circumstances even with that win at the last weekend of the year you'd be able to jump Alabama over them with that head-to-head win and Texas yep. going on the rest of the year and winning the Big 12 and doing everything that they've done that wouldn't make sense in my brain I think it would happen Michigan Florida State undefeated would be in I think Alabama would be in and then would you put a one loss Georgia in depending on the game but I think Oregon would be in if they beat Washington so that leaves Texas on the outside looking in that's what I think would happen Oof, it is uh, going to be some interesting answers from Boo Corrigan, the committee chairperson. Speaking of interesting answers, though, I don't know if we got any as it pertained to Frank Reich and his firing yesterday. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. And before we get to Frank Wright and the fanning flames and the smoke coming from the dumpster fire that is the Carolina Panthers team, we were talking college football. And if we're going to talk coaches changes, I feel like we need to address the video that came out of Texas A&M yesterday of Mike Elko, their new head coach, showing up on the tarmac. They didn't do the marching band like they did with Jimbo (laughs) Fisher last time, which is probably good. But that didn't stop them from doing all the normal yell leader stuff that we always see out of Texas A&M. The visual here that I have to imagine for a non-college football fan is very confusing to see. Do we have that video of Mike Elko? Oh! <laughs> 
tell you what, I made my first trip down there this year. That place is different. That place is yeah. real different. Like in a sea of college football tradition, that place is is I mean, unsurprisingly, considered the whole core cadets thing on campus, which is a whole other thing I don't fully understand. It is a militant level of fandom that you saw on display there and those yell leaders doing their funny little dance. Yeah, it's so all very cultish. He, I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Most colleges are, aren't they? I mean, and luckily he was there for uh, to be an assistant coach for a couple of years, so he knew the song. Um, you know, yeah. he didn't get the he didn't get the deal Jimbo Fisher got. He got six uh, six years at seven mil a year, so guaranteed forty two mil. But I love this. Um, their athletic director, Ross Bjork, said, we wanted it to be fair market value, but we also wanted to say, hey, look, I think the landscape can change where you actually have to earn things. He can, if he were to win the national championship, that means you would obviously go through all the playoffs, the 12 team, the quarters, the semis, win the SEC. If he were to win the SEC or along with that, he could make another 10 and a half million dollars on top of the seven million dollar salary if he were to do all that. I mean, a million for college football appearance, million five for quarterfinals or winning the SEC, two million for a semifinal appearance, two and a half million for a title appearance, three and a half for winning the thing. And I don't know if they will, but my God, I mean, he can make a ton more. He's already up to seven mil a year. This is a guy who hasn't been a head coach very long, right? Goes to Duke and is the ACC coach of the year, has a decent year this year until his quarterback goes down. And now, you know, is, is right near the top of the food chain. Uh, certainly lower than some of the top guys, but still, you know, you go to Texas A&M where that money is rich and they got it to give out. And I love he's making seven mil a year, though. They say he's going to have to earn some of those incentives as well. <laughs> Well, I'm just amazed Jimmy Sexton allowed this to happen because, spoiler alert, if you throw a dart at a college football coach, they're probably yep. represented by Jimmy Sexton, who was Jimbo Fisher's agent, who got him that wild boy deal. And he represents Mike Elko here, too. And I'm like, damn, so Elko has to take a $2 million a year haircut yep. just because he didn't win a national championship at Florida State, which probably is the right thing to do and makes logical sense. But it doesn't make co- like college football math is like boy math. It doesn't make full sense. And so walking into this, I just assumed, hey, Texas A&M is kind of in a tough spot where they just went through the whole Mark Stoops fiasco over the weekend. They probably right. need an easy dub here with their guy. And, and I guess, you know, it, again, real scenario here is Mike Elko is an ascending head coach this is an opportunity that was a step up in resources and weight class all the things from Duke and so it makes sense but part of me was still stunned Jimmy couldn't squeeze a couple more and at least get him back to what Jimbo was making I I never should there be a 10-year contract given out again I I, I, that I mean if you see a 10-year that's fool's gold man that's just waiting for something to happen I think the max you get now is going to be six I think schools would love to give less but you have to at least give a recruiting cycle through which would be four but but these coaches hold a lot of power now because we've seen longer contracts so you know a lot of them you know in Elko's situation when he's going to be a sought after guy he's not gonna you know him and his and Sexton they're not gonna four get out of here with four you know we're gonna we need at least six I I think that's gonna be kind of the number for these coaches is six years I don't think we see nine ten year deals anymore I, I just think that's a that's a bad move by schools to do 
I think we see whatever Jimmy Sexton wants us to see because there is one man who actually controls all this in college football, and it's him who's the best at his job of anybody running this stuff. But uh, So we'll have that going on in College Station that I actually think could go well. I mean, Mike Elko seems like an actual good coach who is in the right spot. Like Getting a coach on the way up as a coach who has already maybe had their best days behind him, usually good business, and doing it with all that trench talent. I'm very excited to see that. But Jesse, we got to check back in. We were on the show yesterday when Frank Wright got the news that he was going to be let go by the Carolina Panthers, and we've had a whole day of fallout, including hearing from the man himself. Yeah, I mean, wow, a guy who would have loved to have seen six years, Frank Reich, uh, out after 11 (laughs) games in Carolina. Now, only one NFL coach was fired after fewer games than Frank Reich. That would be Pete McCulley, who got fired from the 49ers in 1978 after nine games. So Frank Reich making history and not in a cool way. Uh, And despite the abrupt end to his tenure in Carolina, Reich told the Charlotte Observer he has no hard feelings towards David Tepper. So he had this whole statement about how he has nothing but positive thoughts about him on a personal level. He saw a great side to him. He actually ended his statement saying, I have no hard feelings, and my personal relationship with him was actually a real highlight of this short time. Kind of Hmm. a wild statement, in my opinion. I mean, he was very, really pumping David Tepper's tires. Now, another, just to add fuel to this dumpster fire, you guys, the players found out via social media that uh, Frank Reich was out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what's the fallout from this senior? You could not stop ranting yesterday about what a terrible move you thought this was. I mean, I just and people sit there and say, well, Frank Reich isn't a very good head coach anyway. When he was at Indy, he went 10 and 6, 7 and 9, 11 and 5, 9 and 8, 3, 5 and 1 and got fired. Um, if you want to say that, OK, then still look at Tepper for making the hire. If you don't think he was a good hire, Tepper f- hires and fires. I mean, there's no way you get better by doing the route that Tepper is doing in Carolina. You don't. It's not going to work if you don't get any consistency at all amongst coaches and amongst players playing, you know, certain, you know, style of play, which now changes yet again. So this one all goes back to Tepper. He's got a quick trigger finger and he's gonna he's gonna pull the trigger and he's gonna make changes and they're not going to get better for it. As I said, there are plenty of people that don't think Frank Reich was a very good head coach anyway. If you want to think that, that's fine, but that's still on Tepper for hiring him then and making the decision this quick into the tenure of of a young quarterback and thinking it's not going to work. This is all on the owner. Any success that could potentially come in Carolina will be purely accidental. That's what this all tells me. Like, it will be in spite of the man at the helm. David Tepper's on the Panthers and Charlotte FC for less than five years and has fired a combined five coaches in that span between the two teams. Like, we've talked about the interim coaches that have been involved in that math, too. But at some point, Dad, if every room you walk into stinks, it might have something to do with you. And that's the point we're getting at right now. But between coach and quarterback, the two most important things that you can do if you're David Tepper, you have not managed to go out here and do anything remotely successful 
successful at either of those spots and you keep cycling through it anybody else anyone else in any role on a team that made this many bad decisions all in successive order would have been fired by david tepper yep. david tepper would have fired david tepper right now and right. the problem becomes if you know this is the mo in the building and you're anyone who's got other options why would you choose this one to go and hang out where bryce young maybe there's some appeal there but you don't have your first round pick this season you're walking in hamstrung with that out the gate there doesn't seem to largely be a lot of appeal here for any of the names that people are going to throw out and dad we didn't get to talk about that yesterday but ben johnson was someone that they talked to last year right. the coordinator for the detroit lions i threw out bobby slowick who's the coordinator for cj stroud and the texans if you're that jealous of how it's gone over there but i don't know what realistic name who's got options even with all the money that he can throw at them is going to want to mess with this they always say head coaches you're hired to be fired at no place is it more quicker and happen more often I think than Carolina so the next coach I hope they have Jimmy Sexton as an agent to get him at least a four to five year deal so you're guaranteed that money when you're out in two years because Tepper just is going to fire you that's what he does that is so true this is deeply college football david tepper big time college football vibes in terms in terms of the churn and burn when results aren't there immediately Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Week 12 is in the books, so let's turn our attention to Thursday night. Week 13 kicks off with the Cowboys hosting the Seahawks. Both of these teams jockeying for position in the NFC playoff picture, as you can see here. Seahawks trying to get back on track. Losers of three of their last four. Doesn't get any easier going up against a Cowboys offense that is firing on all cylinders, averaging 42 points over their last three games. One of the players tasked with slowing down this Dallas attack is Seattle linebacker Jordan Brooks. He caught up with the guys to discuss this team's mindset heading into week 13. Jordan, appreciate the time. Uh, middle of the season, to really getting towards the end of the season here. So uh, a lot on the plate for you guys here, but appreciate you joining us today, man. How are you? I'm blessed, man. Thank you guys for having me. No, we really appreciate your time. We know you guys got the short week coming up here, and we certainly want to get into uh, the matchup you guys have coming with the Dallas Cowboys. But I, I want to look back before we go forward. I know it was a tough loss for you guys this weekend, but for you specifically, I saw in the middle of that game, the cameras caught you on the sideline, really trying to fire up the defense, really passionate-looking speech there. Can you take us in that huddle? What were you trying to say? What message were you trying to deliver to the guys? Um. You know, just trying to get us to wake up a little bit. I felt like uh, defensively, we we came out flat, um, gave them plays that honestly they they didn't deserve, um, and, so, and that's how you get beat against a good team. And so, uh, you know, as as one of the leaders on the team, you know, you can kind of feel which direction uh, the team is kind of headed, and I felt like we weren't headed in a good in a good space. And so, I just wanted to grab the guys and try to rally us, and um, and so that we can you know play better ball, play our type of ball. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get that done this game, but uh, move on to the next. You know, we're at a point now where it's kind of kind of moving time in, in November, getting into December to try and make that move. Where is this team lost the last couple of t games? But where do you guys feel you are, especially defensively right now? Um, we're not where we want to be. Uh, I feel like we got we got all the guys we need. Um you look across the board, uh, this is one of the most talented rosters in the league right now. Um, I think it's just about everybody buying in, believing that, you know, well, we lost a couple games in a row that we can still pull this thing out. Um, and, and that's the thing right now. 
um, is that we can't panic, right? Uh, we're still in a good spot. And so it's about guys believing in what we're doing and, um, and rallying together and, and just finishing the course. It's not supposed to be easy. You mentioned speaking up, being one of the leaders on this defense. I know a couple of years ago, it didn't feel like that was the case for you here. You're on a defense with Bobby Wagner, who's an all-timer, a future Hall of Famer. When did you start to feel comfortable enough to be the one rallying there and not just deferring to Bobby when it came to stuff like that? Um, I, I, honestly, I feel leadership is within. Um, not everybody is a leader. I've always been a leader uh, in everything that I've done. Um, and so just years prior, I was just younger, um, didn't have enough skins on the wall for anybody to even care about what I'm talking about, you know? And so, uh, as the years progress, you know, you, you play some ball, you get some skins on the wall. Uh, um, I think guys can, can take heed to that. I always think a leader has to first lead by production. And so, um, you produce, I think guys will hear you out a little bit more. So that's kind of what it's been for me. Jordan, I always like when, when players can take people who've, We'll never get close to the game down on the field a little bit. You were a tackling machine at Texas Tech doing the same thing in Seattle. But during your time there, I believe the scheme was changed by Clint Hurt, your defensive coordinator. If you can take people down on the field a little bit and just we always talk about a quarterback in a new system. But how about on the defensive side, a linebacker with a new system that's put in place? Yeah. Are you saying what's been different? Yeah, well, what didn't didn't Clint change it from like a four three to a three four? You know, and just and just how that can be different for a linebacker. It's always quarterback talk. I want to hear about the defensive side of the ball as a former D lineman. Fill people in on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, um, you know, changing the the three four to four three, and then having you know your outside linebackers stand up, and um, sometimes even dropping the coverage, uh, play off the edge, rushing whenever you need to. Um, I think it helps us a lot in the run game. Um, currently, we're not where we want to be. We, we've been better than we were in the past as far as last year. And so kind of changing that front, getting different bodies, bigger bodies it, that it fits this scheme, um, it can eliminate some 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 run leaks that, you know, that we suffered a lot last year. And so I think that's been the biggest difference as far as this game. And then the coverage aspect is just getting a little bit more stickier in coverage so that we can just rush four guys and, um, and, and be a lot more stickier from top to bottom. That's from your guys' perspective. I'm curious in reaction to what offenses do. In your guys' division especially, you see so much of the pre-snap motion from San Francisco, from Los Angeles, the stuff that's been so prevalent around the league. And so many people talk about it, but from a defender standpoint, what is the biggest challenge that that presents to you guys in how you go and respond to that? Yeah, with all the motions, uh, you know, I call it eye candy. Um, <laughs> just dangling cheese over your face to distract you from what they really don't want you to see. And they do it a lot, you know, and sometimes they might give it to the guy that's motioning. So you always got to be patient uh, versus those type of teams. And it's hard, you know, uh, it's, like I said, it's not easy and and, they, and they're very good at what they do. And so uh, knowing that teams like San Francisco, um, uh, uh, LA, the, the Rams, when they do a lot of pre-snap motioning, trying to get you out of your gaps and then run the opposite way, um, a lot of those things, you know, they take place. And so it's just about us being disciplined as a defense, knowing this is what they want to do. Linebackers get your depth. Uh, D-line stay in your gap and, and safeties get ready to fill where, wherever needed. So normal, you know, in a in a short week, if it's a division game, it's a little easier because you know the opponent pretty well. When it's not a division game, you have to be force fed a little more. And you guys are playing Dallas on Thursday. So 
And this offense for Dallas has kind of been clicking as of late. What do you see from this Cowboy offense as you're starting to scout them? I think the first thing that pops out on film is obviously, you know, quarterback. Um, I think he's been playing great. Um, and he's really been the the bell cow for that offense. And so, you know, they feature a lot of guys, you know, at the receiver spot. Uh, they got a good run back there in a, in a, in a solid O-line. Overall, they have a, a, a nice look at offense. And uh, we got to come out prepared and come out ready to play these guys. You know, um, when you watch the tape, they throw the ball all over the place. Um, you know, like I said, they like to feature their, their receiver 88. And so it's about staying on top, um, high, high lowing, tackling well, being where we need to be and playing sound, some football. It's certainly going to be a big challenge, uh, like you said there, for all those reasons. So looking forward to that matchup. Big picture for you here as your role is kind of – changed on this defense. Like you said, you've got the the earned ability to go and command that locker room. How do you approach young guys that were once in your shoes? You got you know, a guy like Devin Witherspoon. You got some young guys in that defensive secondary. How do you view your role with bringing some of those guys along in this defense? Um, I, I don't I don't look at it as a role. I, I just look at it as life. Like, how would I bring anybody along, you know, that's younger than me? And, and if I have any experience in the same thing that they might be dealing with or struggling through, I'll always wrap my arm around them and, and try to help them. Um, and so for me, you know, for the young guys, I always try to be that, uh, you know, be in their ear and tell them what's right or tell them what they need or tell them what they uh, might be doing wrong here or what they need to keep doing, you know, encouraging them, uh, lifting them up. And so with Spoon, I really haven't had to do that a lot. You know, he's kind of just been <laughs> – he's been making plays all over the place. And so you, you really don't have to do that a lot with him. And so uh, – but, you know, as far as other young guys, you know, always try to pull them to the side and get them words of wisdom. Nothing like being the grizzled vet at 26 years old, huh? <laughs> Fourth year of the league, and uh, it's been, it's been a, a great run for you so far. Along that, those lines of younger people, your coach, Pete Carroll, is 72. How does he relate to the younger generation, which on the team is basically everybody? <laughs> yeah, he fits right in. Um and and this is no joke when I say this. Uh, I pro I think he has more energy than me most days when we walk into the building. I mean, I, you guys seen the, the clip of him throwing the football. This is something he's been doing every day since I've been here. You'll see him running down on kickoff. I mean, he's just as active as anybody uh, that you'll see, despite him being 72, 73 years old. Uh, the guy's just full of energy. Um, and, and, it, uh, and it honestly wears off on everybody in the organization. I think that's one of the cooler things to see in life somebody that old to to you know it, the age didn't affect him at all see dad there's hope for you still stop it <laughs> jordan we appreciate the time man we know it's a short week and you guys got a lot to get a lot to get to thanks so much best of luck and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you again soon yes sir thank you guys for having me day. thanks jordan you too jordan appreciate it Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.